chapter 78, if you brought your Bible today. While you turn there, I'll tell you a story about a little boy named Jack. Jack was a little kid and when he started jumping into his dad's arms. He'd jump into his dad's arms just because dad said to. He'd jump off a chair or he'd jump off the ottoman or when he got a little bit older, he'd climb up six or seven feet up a tree and he'd jump out of that tree because his dad said, jump, I'll catch you. And he started doing that. Well, Jack uh, continued growing and uh, was one day, he was walking along a trail and got too close to the edge and he slipped over the edge of that trail. And he started going down the side of this little mountain and um, about 10 or 12 feet from the top, he grabbed hold of a limb. And he's holding on for dear life. He looked down below. It's 40 feet probably to the bottom. And, uh, and he's holding on for all he can. He starts screaming, help, help, somebody help. He starts screaming. And uh, he knows he can't hold on to that thing forever. And all of a sudden, he hears his dad's voice. And his dad's down below him. He said, Jack, you all right? He said, I am. He said, I'm up here. I'm holding on this branch. It's too high for me to climb back up to the top. He said, okay, Jack, I want you to do exactly what I tell you to do. He said, I will, Dad. He said, I just, just get me out of here. He said, okay, I want you to let go of that limb. Boy, it was dead quiet up there where Jack was. And all of a sudden, he's like, is anybody else down there with my dad? There's got to be a better plan than that, right? You know, a lot of times you and I are like that with the Lord. We'll, we'll find out what God wants us to do, and we're not, we're not all that comfortable with it. Is there anybody else up there got a different plan? That's where the nation of Israel was. When you come to Psalm chapter 78, the psalmist is writing about their history. Here's this nation that had been miraculously delivered from Egypt. And you remember that story. One of these days, we're going we're to journey through the book of Exodus together. We'll make that a series uh, of studies. You remember how God brought them out of Egypt and they were cared for by God. We're going we're gonna to look at this chapter today in chapter 78. And I mentioned it a moment ago. There in verse number 19, you have that phrase, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? So I'm, I'm going to call this series that we're in for just about five messages or so, can God? In fact, that's our, also our sermon title today. I couldn't get any more creative than that. Here was this group of people that God had done miraculous things for unexplainable things, and not just once or twice. Remember that? Again and again and again, Israel could point to miracles that God had done on their behalf, not just in delivering them from Egypt, but in caring, uh, caring for them all through the wilderness. And yet, here's the opening thought. They, can, they constantly doubted God's promises, God's uh, presence, and God's power They were always doubting what he would do. Now, they had this whole history back here behind them of all of these things that he had done. But they constantly lived in doubt. And a lot of times, they lived in fear. Let's let's read, certainly not this whole chapter. If you've you've looked to the end, Psalm 78 is one of the major chapters in the book. uh, 72 verses in there. But we're just going to read part of them today. We'll refer to more than what we're going to read. But let's begin our reading at verse number 12 in the 78th Psalm. It says, Marvelous things did he, God, in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made waters to stand as an heap 
In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of great depths. Remember that? Do you remember that? Water from the rock. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the most high in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, that waters uh, gushed out, and streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Can he? Can he? Can God? That is constantly what they're asking. Their heart attitude towards God's God's provision for them can be summed up in that little two-word phrase in verse number 19. Can God? And in asking that question, they were expressing their doubt toward God's ability to keep them. And what they needed, apparently, was another lesson in trust. Oftentimes, we're the same way. We say we want to serve the Lord. We say we we want to do God's will. I want to do God's will with my life. And then we found out what God's will is, and we're like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure I want to go down that path. That's, that's really not the path I was hoping you'd choose, God. Is there another path we can go at? God, can you find something else? They were asking for things in this chapter, the psalmist writes. Uh, they were asking for meat. God had already given them bread. They were already eating manna. I don't even know what that is. In fact, that's what, did you know that's what that word means, the word manna? Do you know what that word means literally? What is it? Now, my wife will tell you, I, it's, it's a high probability I'm the pickiest person on the planet when it comes to food. It might, it might have taken me two or three days to see that manna before I ate it. Because if I don't know what it is, I am not that adventurous. I'm not putting it in my mouth. But they were being sustained by it. They had water coming out of a rock. They had manna give it to them that was falling, literally falling from heaven. And they weren't satisfied and said, well, we want meat too. All of this, they they just failed to be satisfied with what God was doing. And sometimes when we see what God is doing, we're not satisfied either. Or we doubt what he's going to say. There are a lot of times in our lives when we ask the question like Israel did, can God? I'm facing this obstacle. Can God do this? I'm facing this need. Can God? I want to search the scriptures today, maybe in the days ahead. And like I said before, I want us to be reminded, yes, God can do these things. He is, the Bible calls him the Lord of glory. I don't even know the end of that definition. I I don't even know how far that takes us into who God is. The Lord of glory. The king of all kings, the Bible calls the one that we serve. He's able to do anything he wants. So for me to ask, can God really do this? God the whole time is saying, yes, Mark, I I can do that. And he's saying that to you. And so whatever the need is that you're facing, the obstacle that you're facing, the valley that you're facing, the test that you're going through, the relationship that's failing, I don't know what the particular circumstances is, but I do know this, God can do it. Whatever that need is. 
So I'm hoping today that if you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, I'm hoping today to convince you God can save you and deliver your soul from hell. He can do that. I'm hoping today if you have a lot more bills than you have money, I'm hoping today you'll leave here convinced God can meet my needs. I'm hoping today if you're leaving here and your marriage is about to fail, I hope you leave here today knowing, you know, God can rescue this. Whatever my need is, God said, I can take care of that through my riches and glory. God can do that. So I want us to look today at this, at this passage for just a little bit. And as I said, not reading this whole chapter, but certainly referring to a lot more than just we were, what we read. And hopefully encouraging you that God can. And then I'd like you to come back tonight. Tonight we're going to look at, can God keep you saved? You need to know that. There are a lot of people out there telling you he can't. The scripture says differently. So let's look at this today. An introductory, an introductory message to get us going, but also a general, one that hopefully addresses, it's general enough to address your particular need. Can God? Yes, God can. Here's the first thing. This, people, this group of people we're talking about, let's start there. The condition of these people. The condition of the people. What led them to say, can God? Because here's the thing. They already had a 400-plus year history of what God could do for them. So they weren't investigating like they were. It wasn't the attitude like this. Do you think God can? Have you ever asked that before? Do you, you, your kids are little. Dad, do you think we can go out for pizza tonight? They're not doubting it. They're hoping that can come to pass. That's not the attitude Israel's asking this year. Israel is asking this question. The implication is, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? The implication is this. We don't think God can furnish a table in the wilderness. That's what's being implied here. So let's look at the condition of the people. The first thing is this. We're going to read verses 20 again, verse 20, and then verse 41. They were faithless. They were faithless. Not faithful, not full of faith. They lacked it. Verse number 20 says, Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Drop down to verse number 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. How did they limit him? They didn't exercise faith in him. Without faith, It's impossible to please God. If you come to him, you have to believe that he is, that he's God. Well, they were faithless. Here's a people called by God, called to be his, can we use that phrase, his chosen people. If anybody should have trusted the Lord in that region, if anybody in the world today should be trusting God, it should be the nation of Israel. He has proven himself again and again to the nation of Israel, but it's It's obvious to me that they are oblivious to his power. Can God do all this? But a lot of times we're like that. Instead of walking in faith, the New Testament tells the church that as believers we ought to walk in faith. But we don't. Instead, we walk by sight. And because we walk by sight, we often walk in fear. Fear and faith, they are... Uh, they're mutually exclusive. If I'm walking in faith, I don't fear. 
But if I'm walking in fear, it's because my faith is lacking. This group of people, their condition, Israel's number one, they were faithless and sometimes we're like that. We need to do what Jesus told Tom or what Jesus told Thomas to do in the book of John. He said, "Be not faithless, but believing." May I encourage you today that whatever the need is that you're facing, the obstacle, the challenge, the test, the trial, believe God. Don't be faithless. Believe God. First of all, the Israelites were faithless. Second of all, they were forgetful. They were forgetful. Verses 7 through 16, we don't have time to read all of these today, but just look at verse number 7. And we'll read for just a little bit at various points in this chapter and be reminded of all God's done for them. Okay? Verse 7, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of of God, but keep his commandments. In verse 5, the commandments had been given. The law had been given. In verse 7, they were to keep passing it on to their children so that their children didn't forget those commandments. Verse 8, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows... Turned back in the day of battle. Why did they do that in verse number 9? It's because they failed to obey verse number 7 where it says, don't forget these things. Drop down, same chapter, drop down to verse number 21. Therefore the Lord heard this, their doubts and their questions. He was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had forgiven them of the corn and had given them uh, of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls as of the sand of the sea. Do you remember that? Do you remember how he sent that wind and the doves blew in? And, and now not only did they have that heavenly bread, now they had all these doves. They got their request, their, their flesh to eat. Drop down to verse number 42. Still talking about this forgetful people. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan, and had turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. And he sent diverse sorts of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. And he goes on to talk about those ten plagues. God did all that for them. But the nation of Israel, were for, they were forgetful. They weren't just faithless, they were forgetful. Can I ask you a question? Do you ask yourself this when you read this? Do you ask yourself this? How in the world could they forget what God did for them? How in the world could you forget that God turned the waters of an entire nation not to red liquid, he turned it to blood? How how do you forget that? How do you forget the frogs being such a plague? And Can you just imagine that? 
the frogs being such a plague that when they finally died, they were just in heaps all over the nation of Israel. Can you imagine how that stunk? Heaps and heaps of millions of frogs, dead, rotting frog flesh. How would you forget what God has done? How how could you forget the Passover, the very first Passover, where all throughout the land of Egypt, houses were wailing because the death angel had come and the firstborn was dead? How do you forget that? The same way that you and I forget the great salvation that God has delivered us from. We might think to ourselves, how do you forget that, Israel? You guys must be crazy. How do you, how do you forget what God has did for you? Well, the same way Mark Campbell forgets what God has done for him. And maybe the same way you forget how much God has done for you. They were faithless, but they were also forgetful because we forget the same, we forget the same way. We come up in our family or in our individual lives or at work or perhaps even a a situation in our church. We come up against something and it looks hopeless to us. We're never going to get around this. We're never going to get through this. But if you and I would look back in our lives, in addition to the great salvation he's given to us, don't you have some places back there where you can go where God did did something pretty miraculous for you? There was an obstacle back there maybe 15 years ago where, where God, God moved a mountain for you. Maybe, maybe six or eight months ago you were facing something and God all but parted the seas and made a way for you. You see, I think besides our salvation, I think there's a lot of things in our past that if we take the time to look back and see what God has done, we wouldn't be so forgetful. We ought to look back and see those things, but we do forget them. That's why Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, you remember the rest of that verse? And forget not all his benefits. If I were you, I'd look backwards sometimes, and I'd just see how much God has done for you. It's not good for us to be forgetful, but Israel was. And when they, were, when they were lacking in their faith and then they forgot what God had done for them, now they're facing a need and they're asking this question, man, can, can God do this? Absolutely he can. But don't be faithless and don't be forgetful. Well, there's one more. One more thing before we, we move on. The condition of the people, they were faithless. God says we're we to be not faithless but believing. They were forgetful. But God's word says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then finally, they were foolish. Because by asking, can God, they showed their ignorance of the power of this God. He is, we've used this theological word before, haven't we? He is omnipotent. Don't use that word, don't use that word very often because there are very, There are very few applications where you can use that word correctly. In fact, there may only be one, and it may be God. He is omnipotent. What does that word mean, omnipotent? It means he can do anything. Pastor, he doesn't know about the size of the debt that I have. Well, yes, he does know, number one. Number two, your debt's not all that big compared to his wealth. 
He doesn't know the diagnosis my doctor gave me. Well, he does know the diagnosis your doctor gave you, me, uh, gave you and he's the God who heals. He, he's Jehovah Rapha. He doesn't know the, the relationship that I'm in and the mess that it's in. Well, he, he does know it and he can fix it because he's the God of all wisdom. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is wisdom in human flesh. He embodies wisdom. They were foolish in that they asked God a question as if his ability couldn't meet it. But all through, if you remember, if you've studied the book of Exodus, I'm assuming, you remember all through that 40 years in the wilderness, they were always doubting if God was going to do this or do that for them. There's one good example, and it comes uh, when they were sending the spies. Do you remember Moses sent the spies in? It's what led to their 40 days of, or 40 years of, of wandering. He sent a dozen spies into uh, the land of Canaan. They were to spy out the land, come back and report. And they spent 40 days in there. And the reason they wandered 40 years? Because of that faithless act of sending those spies in for 40 days. And do you remember they came back and they were talking about, now remember, we're talking about the land of Canaan. God had told Uh, four generations that he would give them this land. He told Abraham, he told Isaac, he told Jacob, and then he told Jacob's seed. Four generations, he'd promised them this land. As a nation, you're going to get this land. They go in, and in the book of Numbers, they they go in and they look and see this, uh, they see this group of people, it's a, a tribe of people, and their name is Anakim, A-N-A-K-I-M, and they are giants. This particular tribe of people have in their genetic makeup (laughs) the tall gene, for lack of a better term. They're just huge. Goliath was of this particular tribe. They're in the southwest uh, southwest part of, of Canaan. That's where they lived. Goliath was part of them, the Anakin. Not all Philistines were Anakin. There was just a certain group that had this they had this uh, gene that made them giants. And those, those spies come back, and ten of them said, two of them said, let's go in. Land's ours. God said we could have it. Joshua and Caleb, faithful men. But ten of them said, well, boy, it, it sure is a good land. You ought to see the grapes they grow there. Milk runs like rivers there. It is, boy, the fields are great. Everything's great. But the Anakim are there. And we look like grasshoppers in their sight. They think we're grasshoppers. And quite frankly, I think we're grasshoppers in their sight too. And because of that, they doubted God's ability to give them the land. They were foolish because of this. They thought those Anakim were greater than the power of God. You know what it cost them? 40 years and nearly 2 million lives. Because the Bible says everybody was over the age of, what was it, 20? Everybody over the age of 20 died off. The only ones that made it in were Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them were all young whippersnappers that went into Canaan. They were faithless, they were forgetful, and they were foolish. What did that lead them to do? It led them to question God's ability. But he's omnipotent. The character of God. Let's let's move on. The condition of the people. Let's look at the character of their God. God's character is revealed in this chapter in a few places. We're back in Psalm chapter 78. 
First, I want you to see that God's character has already been revealed to them in his promises. We read verses 5 through 7 that God was going to give them the land. He'd give them the law. He was going to give them the land. Israel saw God keep his word to them time and time again. He's always faithful to do that. If God tells us he's going to do something, if God tells Israel he's going to do it, he would do it. And he did. And God hasn't changed. He still is a God that keeps his word. So if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Old Testament and New Testament, that truth is bared out. We won't turn there, but Romans chapter 4 and verse number 21. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 18. God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? I I love the way the writer says that. If God said it, he's going to do it. He's that faithful. His character is revealed in his promises. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says this, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Part of God's character is this. He can't lie. He can't lie. Now, you don't get to say that, do you? I don't get to claim that. Because it's possible for me to lie. It's possible for you to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. He just can't do it. His character is revealed in his promises. What did he promise Israel? I'll meet your needs. I'll give you the land. How did Israel respond? Do you really think God can do this? That's how they responded. But his character is revealed in his promises. He can't lie. His character is also revealed in his performance. Look at verse number 4 of chapter 78. (coughs) Excuse me. We will not hide them. From their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength, and note that last phrase, would you? And his wonderful works that he had done. We read verse number uh, 42 and 43 just a moment ago about the works of God's deliverance. His character is not only revealed in what he says, his promises, but it's revealed in what he does. Look at verse number uh, 12 again. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers. It's revealed in his performance all through their history. And and that's what the Old Testament is. It's It's the history of the nation of Israel. All through that, Israel not only enjoyed the presence of God, but they enjoyed The power of God. He did all of these things for them. His performance reveals that. Can you imagine what it was like to see the glory of God fill the tabernacle and then later the temple for the first time? A visible presentation of the presence of God comes down. The nation of Israel saw that. Can you imagine parting the Red Sea? I've got, a, I've got a picture that I got in Israel when we went to Israel uh, 25 years ago. I got a picture that I bought at a, at a store right next to uh, the Jordan River. But it's a picture 
depicting the parting of the Red Sea. Can you, can you imagine that? that? That had to be really be something. They just walked across dry land with walls of water on either side of them. You know, the, you remember when God dried up the Jordan River when they crossed to go to Jericho? Do you remember that? If you'll read, the Bible tells you geographically what that looked like. Do you know God backed up the water 10 miles from where they crossed? They couldn't even see the water. He backed up the Jordan River so far to allow them to cross. It was, it was 10 miles upstream that he backed the water up. Israel saw those kinds of works. God was revealing his character not just in his, his promises that he can't lie. He's an honest God. But he revealed his character in his performance. He's a powerful God. And 3,000 years later, church, God is still coming through for his people. He still miraculously works on your behalf and on my behalf. We just don't count them as miracles like we used to. We try to explain some things away. Well, this happened or that happened. No, God got involved. God got involved, and he works on our behalf. Now, I've not eaten manna, and I've not crossed a river or a sea that's been dried up, but there have been things in my life that God has done for our family that I knew. God was at work. God had to do that. And God forgive me for those times that he does something like that, and I don't give him glory and credit for it. He's, he's faithful, church. His character is revealed in his promises and what he says because he cannot lie. It's revealed in his performance, in what he does for us. In verse 4, and we've read that already, it's also revealed in his power. God has proven to Israel he's stronger than every obstacle that they had. First, they faced Pharaoh, the, the, the most mighty king in the world at that time, the world ruler, Pharaoh. God, God dealt with him. God made Pharaoh look foolish. God's power is that great. The Red Sea, sustaining them for 40 years, giving them the land. Can you believe that a group of people who've never been soldiers had the military success that they had? That didn't happen because Israel's so great. It happened because their God was so great. It's the power of God at work, and he's, he's still omnipotent. That awesome power of God has not changed at all. It's still available to you and I. But in our Christianity, sometimes we just are content to do things in the flesh. And God's like, if you want to do it yourself, go ahead. But it's going to take you, you know, it's going to take you longer. I was, I was talking to Zeth this last week about some plumbing work we've got to have done at our house. And it's going to require a trencher. And he brought up the trencher. I said, well, that'll beat me digging that thing with a shovel and a pick because I'll have it done by April or May if you were going to do it like that. God's content to let me go at it with my own power. And he's content to let you live your life, church, in your own power. But it's going to be harder and it's not going to have nearly the effect if we just get out of the way and let God go to work. His power reveals his character. Remember Job? I, I was sharing Job, some of Job with the teenagers this morning. Job chapter 42 and verse 2. Job says to God, Job says this, I know that thou canst do anything. What a great confession you and I should make. Are you in a deep hole right now? Are you in a deep trial? Maybe you should confess to God again from your heart, God, I know you can do anything. 
He loves to hear us confess his word. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, God's testimony of his own power. He asks Abraham this, is anything too hard for the Lord? God asks that. What a rhetorical question. Be reminded that your God is able His power reveals his character, his promises, his performance. The last thing is this, his patience reveals his character. Aren't you thankful for that? And if you don't say yes right there, you you really should. God's patient with you. God is patient certainly with me. Look at verse number 38 and note note this little phrase. Talking about God dealing with his stubborn, rebellious Israelites. God says this, or it says it about God. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Here's my phrase right here. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Can you say that in your life? How many times has there been in your life or in my life where God turned his anger away? I am so thankful That God reveals his character in his patience. There's another word, a Bible word for that is long-suffering. He's long-suffering toward us. He patiently led them for 40 years. He directed their steps, whining and grumbling and complaining, just like a bunch of kids. You don't like to admit it, that your kids got on your nerves, but they did. When they just whine and complain, you're like, would you just be quiet? I don't want to use this duct tape, but I will use this duct tape. Just quit your whining. Can you hear God saying that to the nation of Israel for 40 years? All they did was whine and complain. And yet the Bible said, I love that phrase, many a time did he turn his anger away. His character is revealed in his patience. Why is he like that? Because he loves us. He loved Israel. He set his love on Israel. And he has set his love on you. And he's patient with us. I'm saying all that to say you can trust. You can trust this God. Can God do these things? He absolutely can. The condition of the people, man, it was a terrible mess. But let's be honest, a lot of times we're the same way. We don't walk in faith or we forget his benefits or sometimes we just act foolishly. We reject his wisdom for our own. But then there's the character of this great God and he reveals it all through this chapter. Finally, I want you to see the challenge for today. What what does that bring for us to do then? With all of that, looking at their condition in Israel in chapter 78, can we agree that sometimes we behave ourselves like Israel did? That we are forgetful. And we're faithless and sometimes foolish. We can agree that that's us sometimes. But certainly we can thank the Lord for his character and what he shows himself to be through his words, through his works. All of these things show us. So what is the takeaway from this? What's the challenge for today? When we look back at the nation of Israel, one thing that we see is how God proved himself again and again to them And when we look back in our lives, we can see though we strayed here and we strayed here, we can see the one constant is the faithfulness of God to keep bringing us back to himself. 
what do we do with all of this? Can we reread three verses that we read a moment ago, starting at verse number 6? Chapter 78 and verse number 6. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. What, What are they declaring? They're declaring the commandments of God. He's saying in verse number 6, teach your children the things of God. Why? Verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The challenge for today is found in these three verses. And I'm going to share with you three admonitions from these verses and let's use the phrases to help us out. First, in verse number, in, in verse number um, 7, it says that they might set their hope in God. Here's the first thing. Have confidence in God. They, they want them to pass these things, the, the, work, the commandments of God and the works of God, pass them along so that they will have confidence in God. That's trust in him. That's trusting in him. Psalm 62 in verse 8 says, trust in him at all times. Mark 11, verse 22, Jesus said, have faith in God. In chapter 14 and verse 1, Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Trust him for all needs and in every situation. You can fully trust God. I don't know about this thing that I'm facing, Pastor. You can trust God. You can trust him. Set your, I like that phrase, don't you? They set, that they might set their hope in God. That's what we ought to do. Set it. Like, like, it's like setting a post. You know, when you, set a, when you set a fence post, well, you get that thing in there and you get it firm and it's, it's set. Do that with your hope in God, your trust in God. Set your confidence in God. I read this story about old Uncle Oscar. I don't know who he is, but that's the name that was in this little story. Old Uncle Oscar had never flown before, and he had to he had to fly, and he was pretty apprehensive about this this whole thing. And he finally arrived at his destination. He finally got to his place, and the fam the whole family that was waiting for him at the airport they knew that Uncle Oscar had never flown before. They knew he was scared to death to get on that plane, be flying hundreds of miles an hour, thousands of feet up in the air. And so when he came in, and he uh, they were talking to him, they said, "Well, Uncle Oscar, how did it go?" How how did that flight go? He said, well, it was pretty impressive. He said, we were were going pretty fast when we took off. And he said, we got up pretty high in the ground, uh, pretty high in the sky off the ground. He said, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but I never did put all my weight down on that seat. (laughs) I'm telling you, you can put all your weight down in God. You can trust him. He can do it. Can God? Yeah, he can. The first thing is have confidence in God. There's a phrase used earlier in the the book of Psalm. I think it's in chapter 37. It says this, rest in the Lord. You know, when, when you and I are resting in our bed, we're not being like Uncle Oscar. When you're at rest in your bed, you got all your weight down in that thing. You're not holding anything back. You're just resting. Rest like that in the Lord. Just turn it all over to him. 
the widow in Zarephath who's wondering if if there's going to be enough food for her and her son. Her husband's dead. There's a famine in the land. Is there going to be enough food? Can God really provide the food for us to get through this famine? He can. Darius has thrown his good friend Daniel into a lion's den at the behest of, of some wicked counselors that he had. And Darius, the Bible said, stayed up the whole night wondering if God could keep Daniel alive in that lion's den. You know what? God can. Trust in him. Set your hope in God. I remember, I I grew up in a Christian home. I've told you a number of times that my mom and dad were saved the year before I was born. So all I have ever known is a Baptist church. Um, My mom worked in the nursery. You know, we went on visitation on Tuesday or Thursdays, whenever it was when I was a kid. I was like Mark Lowry. You remember Mark Lowry said, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if the preacher was going to wash the windows, Mark Lowry said, my family showed up, sat down, and watched them wash the windows. If anything was going on at church, I was there. That's how I was raised. But I remember so clearly as a 10-year-old boy, the first time that I knew dread At 10 years old, it dawned on me that I was a sinner before God. And I, at 10, I understood what hell was for. At 10 years old, the gospel is so simple to understand that a 10-year-old boy in Westland, Michigan, understood that he was a sinner before a God who had never sinned. And that penalty for that sin was hell for eternity. And at 10, I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And at 10, my dad knelt with me next to our bed in my bedroom on 35001 Lewis Street, Westland, Michigan. And dad told me how to pray so that I could be saved. I understood that at 10 years old. And you might be sitting in this room or you're joining us on live stream today and you're wondering, can God forgive all the things that I have done? I'm telling you, he can. Set your hope in him. What's the challenge for today? The first challenge the first challenge is this, have confidence in God. And that relates to your trust. The second challenge is this, call to mind his past works. That means remember. The scripture goes on to say in that verse, not only did they, are they to set their hope in God, but they, were, they, they said, teach your children this so that they won't forget the works of God. Remember this. I've mentioned it already today, but how many times has God worked in your behalf? Forget not all of his benefits. Let his past works in your life remind you of what he can do for you now or, or what he can do for you in the future. Did you know that 148 times in the King James Bible, you and I are told to remember? Remember. I remember somebody in our church one time went to a local college and one of the professors told them, now I want you to forget everything that your pastors and your parents and your Sunday school teachers have taught you about the Bible. We're going to start from scratch. That is anti-biblical. Because scripture again and again and again says, remember. Forget not. Remember. Here's some some psalms that go right along with that. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. You remember the first part of that verse? It says some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. 
Another verse says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee. Some of you struggle with depression. Or discouragement. And it's chronic with you. That's not a sin, by the way. Did you know Charles Haddon Spurgeon struggled often with depression? Moses struggled with depression. It's not a sin. But can I tell you what you ought to do with it? When your soul is cast down, remember God. Remember God. Another verse says, I will remember the works of the Lord. An admonition from one of the prophets tells us to remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Old Testament, New Testament, God's people Israel or God's people the church were all told to remember God. Forget not what he's done for you. It'll help you when you come to that question and and the doubt starts to creep in. Can God do this for us? Yes, he can. Remember what he's already done for you. And then the last thing, first of all, have confidence in God. That's trust. And then call to mind his past work. That's remember. The third thing is carry out his word. That's obey. It says in that same verse, verse number seven, that they might set their hope in God, trust, might not forget the works of God, remember, and the end of verse seven, but keep his commandments, obey. Carry out his word. Genuine faith, if you say you're a person of faith today, genuine faith always manifests itself in obedience. Lord, if that's you, bid me to come out on the water with you. Okay, come on out. Did Peter have faith? Yeah. How do we know? He jumped out of the boat and walked on water. Genuine faith in the Lord always manifests itself in obedience. There's another thing. True love for Jesus always manifests itself in obedience. Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, keep my commandments. Obey God. (coughs) I I was talking with the teens this morning. I, I don't understand everything that's in the Bible, do you? I don't. But what I do know, I am to obey. I am to follow. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 10 says, Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. When we get into the word of God and God's word word makes its way into us, we, we will be changed by that word. We'll become more like Christ the more we obey him. In the... Uh, in the early days of the Gaither vocal band, um, they weren't Southern gospel. They were more contemporary kind of Christian music. And they had some, honestly, and I'm not trying to be offensive. If you like contemporary Christian music, I'm not being offensive. The early days of contemporary Christian music, it was just a little weird. Some of it, some of the songs were just, they were just weird songs. But they had this one song, Gaither vocal band sang, And it was called, Is the Word Getting Into You? And the whole thing was, um, people always talk about, I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to get into the Word. I had a roommate, uh, one of my my roommates in college, one of my first roommates. We had bunk beds in our roommate. And he put a a magnetic sign on his bunk bed and it said, The Word. 
and he would say, I'm going to go get in the Word. What that meant was he's going to go take a nap for two hours. He named his bunk bed the Word, and he'd go take a nap. So people say all the time, I, I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to get into the Word. Gaither wrote this song. I guess it was Bill Gaither wrote it. But the, the lyric of the song goes, I've heard you're getting into the Word, but is the Word getting into you? And that's where the change comes. It's not just me getting into the word, but it's God's word. James uses the phrase, his word is grafted into our heart. And it's the word getting into me that changes me, and it it makes me more like Christ and less like Mark. I'm, I'm I'm to obey his word. I don't know everything in God's word, but what I do know, I am to obey. Trust, remember, obey. What do we do with that? Well, that helps us when we ask that question, can God do this? Can God do that? Early in September, my wife and I, uh, we flew to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Her mom passed away, and we flew to Tulsa for the funeral. And we had to walk through a couple different airports. While we're walking through those airports, I, uh, I was subject to the law of gravity. And we go through those airports, and I'm just walking. And we come to that jetway or whatever they call that, that thing, that little tunnel that you have to walk down when they call everybody up to board. You walk down that thing. And then I come to the end of that jetway, and I, I step into that plane. And we find, our, we find our seats. I would say we were comfortable when we sat down. We're not. We're sitting in coach, and you're, just, you're not comfortable at all. You're just thankful for short flights. But we get, we get into this. We get into this plane, and finally our turn comes up, you know, and we get to taxi. We taxi out there, and our turn comes up, and then we go speeding off that runway. And somewhere around 150 miles an hour, we, we take off, and, and that plane's just cooking. I, I love I, – I've not flown as much as a lot of you have. I still am amazed every time that plane takes off. I just – that just fascinates me. People are sitting on there, and they're reading, and they're on their computers. They're going to sleep, and I'm like, do you all know what we're doing? You know, we're doing 300 miles an hour right now at 35,000 feet. That still amazes me. I, I am astounded by that. But we got up to about 150 miles an hour on that thing, and it's loud. We had those cheap seats in the back that you don't have to pay extra money for, and so the jets are just screaming, you know, and, and you're taking off. And, and that law of gravity was overcome by a greater law. The law of gravity was overcome by the law of aerodynamics. Now, the law of gravity, I can't fully explain how that works. I just know it keeps me on the ground. If I jump up, I'm going to come back down. If I don't look where I'm going, I'm going to fall because the law of gravity is at work. Now, the law of aerodynamics, I don't really understand all that. I know there's drag and there's lift. I, I know little terms like that. I can't tell you how that all works. So, But I don't have to. You know why I don't have to know about the law of aerodynamics? Because I'm in the plane. And that plane was specifically designed to be greater than the law of gravity. That plane was designed to overcome gravity's hold. Now, the law of gravity didn't stop when that plane took off. It was still the law of gravity was doing its best to pull that plane back to earth. But the law of aerodynamics perfectly applied, was greater than the law of gravity. And the next thing you know, Mark and Terry are doing 400 miles an hour at 30,000 feet. 
Gravity's still at work. But a greater law has come into has come into play. I'm telling you that because that's what it means to be in Christ and triumphing over the law of sin. The law of sin is still in effect. Paul tells you that in Romans chapter 7. But there's a greater law that has come into play. The fact that I am in Christ, just like I'm in that jet, when, when I'm in that jet, I am triumphing over the law of gravity. It's great. I look down, I look down and see those little tiny cars down there. And we're just, man, we're just flying. You know what's great? The best thing about flying is if you come close to another plane where you can, where another plane is going the opposite direction and you can see each other, because you don't really realize you're, you're doing 400 miles an hour up in the sky, do you? But if another plane comes, you know, not close enough to, you know, give you a heart attack, but another plane comes close enough where you can see it and you're going opposite directions, all of a sudden it dawns on you, boy, we are, we are cooking. But, you know, I was still subject to the law of gravity while I was in that plane. But a greater law was at work. That was the law of Christ in me. I was in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm triumphing over the law of sin. There's another thing about that. It was not the quality of our faith that took us to Tulsa in less than three hours flying time. It was the quality of that jet's performance. There may have been someone in that same flight with Terry and I, and I don't know. I'm just making this part up. That's how you get good sermon illustrations. You just make them up. (laughs) Terry and I, we were at rest in that plane. We've flown to Tulsa before. But there may have been somebody on that plane who'd never flown before. Uncle Oscar, all right? There may have been somebody like that, and they spent that entire flight from Knoxville to Tulsa, they spent that entire flight scared to death on that plane. But you know what? They got to Tulsa just like we did. The difference is they didn't enjoy the flight. Now, it wasn't. I was just up there amazed looking out the window. I'm like a 12-year-old kid flying for the first time. But somebody on that flight might have been scared to death. And there are Christians who go through this life and they're, they're living their life in fear and they're scared to death. And all the while, God is saying, don't worry, you're in Christ and Christ is in me and you're wrapped up. You're safe. You don't need to fear. Now that fearful Christian will get to heaven just like that faithful Christian will. But they're not going to enjoy the abundant life that God had for them on this planet. There was one more thing. This is a great analogy, this plane flight. I didn't have to help that plane fly one bit to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I didn't have to get out and push. I didn't have to sit on the wing and flap my arms. I didn't have to do anything to help that plane get to Tulsa. All I had to do was get on that plane. That's all I had to do. And I don't have to do one thing to get me to heaven one day. All I have to do is be in Christ. That's all I have to do. I don't have to do one thing there. Oh, here's my, here's my closing thought. If you're wondering if I was going to get there, I'm here. <laughs> Too many Christians live their lives in fear and in doubt, asking if God can do this or if God can do that. And as a result, they struggle their whole life with fear, defeat, or discouragement instead of enjoying the trip. Christians, you don't have to ask Can God do this? Can God do that? You don't have to ask. 
he can. Now I'll ask you this morning, what is it you're questioning God about? What is it in your life that you're doubting that God can get you out of this? I'm telling you, he can. Can God furnish a table for us in the wilderness? You're not going to starve. God can do it. He'll give you more than you need. He'll rain it down from heaven. God can do it, church. Whatever the need is that you have, whatever the load is that you're carrying, he says, cast all your care on me. Why? Because I care for you. You don't have to help him. You just got to turn it over to him. Can God? He sure can. He wants to. He wants to do it for you. Would you stand with your heads bowed? Let's close this morning. Father,